In today's episode, more resellers like the look, or more retailers actually, like the look of this reselling gig. We've got reselling news from Amazon, Etsy, eBay, and more, and a look at the month that was August. Well, that was a pretty busted intro. <laughs> uh, to give myself a break, uh, I had a technical malfunction. I, I start getting set up for this about 10 minutes in advance of doing the show. And of course, Chrome crashed. So I lost, I don't know, about 12 tabs that I had to recreate that had all the reselling news. So I've been scrambling to even get set up to actually get started reasonably on time. I think I'm maybe a minute late. So... Uh, you'll have to forgive the rough intro. Anyway, welcome to the show. If you're new here, my name is Ryan and I am a full-time reseller, part-time YouTuber and podcaster working out of my home here in the greater Cincinnati area. And this channel is all about the flip life. We're going to have a re little recap of some items I sold last week. Not much. I think I've only got about a half a dozen. Uh, last week was massive. If you haven't watched that show or listened to it, go back and check it out. I had some really cool stuff on there this week. Not so much. We will take a look at the month that was August. I will actually show you a comparison of this August to last August as well. So you get an idea what my business has done over the last year. Uh, but first, let's get it kicked off. News updates. With some news. There is a ton going on. We'll start off with one of the big news items that's kind of been in the news news, not just the reselling news, Hurricane Ida blew through, no pun intended. Uh, Louisiana doing significant damage as of this morning. There are apparently still about a million people without power. Most of New Orleans is down. I don't know what other platforms have done, but eBay, as they usually are, was out front of this, and they are providing seller protections for those sellers affected by the hurricane. They say Hurricane Ida is disrupting transportation lines across the U.S. Southeast region. They are closely monitoring the situation. If you are involved with a transaction with a buyer or a seller in these affected areas, please note that their ability to communicate or complete your transaction may be delayed due to these severe conditions. We encourage you to be patient in this matter. Uh, as a seller, you do not need to worry about your seller performance if your business is impacted. eBay will automatically protect your seller performance, including your late shipment rate, your valid tracking load upload rate, your item not received cases due to late delivery as long as you uploaded tracking and have a physical scan from the carrier before a case was opened. And we will also remove any associated negative and neutral feedback, and these cases will not impact your service metrics. So... Kudos to eBay, as always, for getting out in ahead of this. I didn't see anything on Mercari or Bonanza, which are the two platforms I sell on. If you sell elsewhere, Poshmark or wherever, you can let us know in the chat or in the comments below. Uh, if you've seen if they're doing anything like this to protect sellers and to advise, obviously, buyers that if they're buying from someone that's in this area. Uh, my understanding is the post office was up and running the next day. There was a news report uh, where the guy said he saw the postal workers out delivering mail the very next day. So the post office is working, but individuals' ability to actually process orders and then get them to the post office is probably pretty limited down there. 
if you are in that area, my thoughts are with you. I hope uh, you are safe and well and not flooded out. But uh, man, what a mess. So the big topic for this week uh, is the in increasing number of retailers that have looked at the reselling space and decided they want to get in. The big one this week is Urban Outfitters. Uh, they're going to move into the secondhand apparel market with a website called Newly Thrift. It's N-U-U-L-Y. Not sure what the spelling is on that, but uh, this will be a place for the sale of clothing and accessories. Fresh off of a record-breaking second quarter, Urban Outfitters is forging ahead with a new consignment app that looks to create a marketplace for previously owned products and boost sales for the Philadelphia retailer called Newly Thrift. The service will launch this fall. A lot of these services are launching this fall for, guess what, Q4. Um, this app will sell uh, women's, men's, and children's apparel and accessories. As with any consignment store, Urban Outfitters will receive a fee from any item sold on the platform. They described the Newly Thrift as a quote-unquote sister platform to Newly Rent, which is its subscription rental service that competes with Rent the Runway and other similar outlets. Both Newly Platforms Thrift and Rent will support the mission to be a curated destination for anyone who loves fashion and is exploring how to wear, buy, and sell it in ways that are gentler on the planet and on their wallets, said Richard Haynes, CEO of Urban Outfitters, during their second quarter earnings call. So again, this is another apparel retailer that's jumping in to the reselling space. How much of a competitor they are with individual resellers, of course, is a matter of some debate. We'll have to wait and see how that goes. But all of these accumulating are going to start to suck up some of the supply that folks rely on as they source. So if you think this will be something that impacts you, you can let us know in the comments down below if you're watching over on YouTube. Another one that's getting into it, but in a slightly different way, is IKEA. Uh, they are piloting a buyback and resell service. They're doing it at one particular location. IKEA US announced today the launch of a buyback and resell service, which will be piloted for a limited time at IKEA Conshohokan from August 30th to September 19th of this year. So a fairly small window, couple of weeks. Uh, the service will give IKEA customers the opportunity to sell back their gently used IKEA furniture in exchange for IKEA store credit. So you can't get cash, you can only get a store credit. Participants will be able to give their furniture a second life through resale in the stores as is section, providing an even more sustainable and affordable option for many people. You see this thread kind of going through all of these announcements, they're always keying in on two particular pieces of this. Not only the affordability, but the sustainability, the recycling notion, um, which is a targeting, obviously, particularly the Gen Z and the millennials, who that's a real hot button issue for. So uh, the service is available for fully assembled and functional IKEA furniture only. And all products will be reviewed based on condition, age, and functionality. Recalled products and particular categories of products such as chest of drawers will not be accepted. Additional information about the service and the assessment process can be found on their website. I will link, of course, to all of these articles in the comments down below once we're done recording here. So you can go in and, and find out information about this if you'd like. 
At IKEA, we are passionate about making, here we go again, sustainable living easy and affordable for the many and want to be part of a future that's better for both people and the planet, says Jennifer Keeson, uh, Country Sustainability Manager for IKEA US. We hope the buyback and resell service inspires our customers to live a more sustainable life at home while giving their used furniture another life and a second home. While this is just a pilot program, IKEA does plan to roll this service out to additional select markets with the ultimate goal of having this across the country. So this is a little bit different program, at least with the initial wave of this. It doesn't appear like they're going to try to do this online. So it'll be localized. So it's a little bit different. And I don't know how many of us in the resale game are sourcing regularly IKEA furniture to resell. But again, it just shows you a company the size of IKEA smells the money, as it were, in in this business. And they're attempting in their own way to get involved in it. So this comes on the heels of all of the other ones that we've mentioned over the last several months on this show that are either getting into it themselves or that are partnering with ThreadUp to have some sort of presence in this space. So if, if nothing else, I guess it validates that what we're doing as resellers is providing value and it is a legitimate business. I know there's a lot of people who feel like resellers are not, we're not adding anything to the economy. We're not adding any fresh ideas. We're not true entrepreneurs. Um, I, I beg to differ and I always have. Um, we do provide a lot of value. We provide a service of connecting people with items they can't find otherwise. So I always felt like there was value there, but now you can see obviously that big retailers have also found the money. This was an interesting article. Uh, Depop is the new Instagram, but not in a good way. The resale app popularized by Gen Z prioritizes sellers who model clothing themselves, creating a breeding ground for comparison, body dysmorphia, and bullying. I think I may have covered this previously uh, from another article. This is a new article in InStyle magazine. Um, The writer says, a few months ago, I decided to sell a pair of jeans that no longer fit me on Depop, a resale app popularized by Gen Z. Immediately, I received a message from someone inquiring about the pants, but who first wanted to see what they looked like on a body, my body. Having gained weight during the pandemic, I scrolled to find photos from when the pair did fit two years ago. With the new photos added, the shorts sold quickly, but with that transaction, I suddenly became aware of the need to present my body, if only as a mannequin, in order to sell clothing. It felt a bit unnerving. Unlike the resale platforms before, the article says Depop is unique in its prioritization of presentation. Depop users don't want lay-flat photos of t-shirts taken from above. They want highly stylized, lookbook-quality images. On Depop, you are not just selling clothing. You're selling a personal brand, a lifestyle. In other words, Depop is, according to this writer, basically Instagram, but with more transparency about the fact that it's selling you stuff. With roughly 30 million registered users across 150 countries, Depop is dominating the online marketplace next to competitors like Poshmark, eBay, and Mercari. That seems like a really strong word. (laughs) Uh, I don't know that it's dominating. It is certainly a a player and an increasingly influential one, but I don't think it's dominating. 
Uh, certainly not eBay. Maybe maybe individually in fashion that would be true, but overall um, it is not. Anyway, in fact, according to a poll conducted by New York Magazine's The Strategist, Depop is the favorite resale app among people under the age of 26. However, the article points out the pressure to ascend to Depop's top tier or even to just make a little bit of cash on the side isn't always as easy as putting on a piece of clothing and taking a selfie. Like in my experience, sometimes the clothes don't fit. It can be a slippery slope from wondering if your clothing is on trend to wondering if your body is the reason clothes don't sell. Depop is similar to Instagram in the way you build your following through your images and feedback, adds Depop user Rebecca Torshamar, who co-runs a plus-sized vintage shop in, I think, in New York. Uh, I can see why people would then start to compare themselves to other sellers and wonder why they aren't doing as well. Emma Norland, who goes by Bucktooth on the app, says in a TikTok video that Depop has definitely exacerbated her body body dysmorphia as a user. Quote, I definitely do consider on a day-to-day basis ways to modify my appearance in order to be more successful, she says. Others voice similar frustrations on the uh, Depop subreddit, which has over 43,000 members. Like Instagram, Depop has a like function and private messaging leaving sellers vulnerable to predatory behavior and bulleting, bullying, all of which can lead to insecurity and low self-esteem, especially in its younger users. It does feel like a lot of the time top sellers are the ones to look out for, usually sell smaller sizes and not plus size. I think this also makes plus size women feel like Depop isn't somewhere that they are able to easily shop when scrolling. Smaller bodies are what you see more of. One of the suggestions, and I think this was something that we had covered once before on this show, Depop's Explore page, which is actually curated by Depop itself, could benefit from greater diversity of images and less focus on the subjective quote-unquote photo quality requirement. There is currently a petition for Depop to begin treating clothing on mannequins and on hangers with the same favor as those on bodies. Rose McDonald, the petition's author, notes that, quote, this creates a, the kind of environment where conventionally attractive people become top sellers based on their looks at the expense of disabled sellers and sellers with size-inclusive stores. So again, let us know in the comments if you sell on Depop. Have you experienced any of this? What do you feel about the platform? Obviously, it's growing massively. And I guess to be fair... Attractiveness has always sold. That's what's always been marketed. You watch ads on TV, especially in years past. It was always the beautiful people, (laughs) not people that look like me. They were on TV. Uh, And now we're starting to see a shift away from that. You're starting to see more inclusion. Um, I'm sure some people would argue that's not necessarily a good thing, but you see it on TV where you see different races, different ethnicities, different body types and sizes in commercials. And this, you would have thought that an app like this would have been kind of at the forefront of that. And apparently that is not the case, at least with Depop. So you can let us know in the comments what you think about that. Moving on to Etsy. Uh, A couple of things going on over there. They are requiring delivery date estimates or else, according to an article over on e-commerce, Bytes. Etsy sellers must provide all the details necessary for the company, being Etsy, to calculate and display an estimated delivery date in listings or else the listings will not automatically renew. 
The company announced this new requirement in July, and it takes effect next month. The reason, of course, to boost conversion rates. We use these details to give shoppers an estimate of when their order will arrive so they can feel confident in making a purchase. Etsy listings that ship from the U.S. must include the following details. The domestic shipping carrier, the mail class, the processing time, and the zip code. Otherwise, these listings will no longer automatically renew. They say we use your zip code and mail class to estimate the time your item will travel to reach the buyer. We add this travel time to your processing time to show an estimated delivery date on your listings. If your your distance from the buyer is two to four days and your processing time is three to five days, we'll show shoppers an estimated delivery date of five to nine days from their order date. So again, this is just one more thing where as Etsy grows, they are seeking, I guess, more and more. Control doesn't really sound like the right word, but they want to make the buying experience as good as possible. So I realize if you're an Etsy seller, this is maybe an extra layer of stuff, but it probably is beneficial to your business. Assuming that they have this algorithm correct, which eBay openly admits that they do not, which is a story we'll get to here in a few minutes. Um, but it is an extra step, but it's something that you're going to have to do. It also factors in to this next story. Etsy is tweaking its new star seller program for top sellers. We've talked about this several times over the last month. Etsy is already making changes to its brand new star seller program that it launched to make it easy for buyers to identify sellers who have a quote, proven record of offering an excellent customer service experience. The program evaluates sellers looking on a wide range of criteria, including responding to messages, shipping, five-star ratings, sales, and orders. On August 6th, they answered frequently asked questions and to let sellers know kind of what was going on. It said it would first off experiment with a few placements for the star seller badge, including testing into showing the badge in search results on a seller's listing page, their shop home and in buyer marketing like email as a few examples in order to be eligible for this badge to display. They must respond to 95% or more of initial messages from buyers within 24 hours this week. Etsy announced that it would no longer count messages from Etsy staff in seller's overall message response rate. I have no idea why they would have been in there in the first place. They are not a buyer. Uh, If the metric is, and this is why we talked about a couple of weeks ago, so many sellers were up in arms about this. If you got an email from an Etsy employee and you didn't reply within 24 hours, it counted against you, which is to my mind, totally ridiculous. So again, you can let us know what you think about that, but that seems crazy to me that that was something that they had to change. Uh, Another requirement of the program, sellers must ship 95% or more of their orders within their stated processing time and with tracking. So again, going back to a lot of stuff, Etsy sellers did not sell, did not ship with tracking. Now it's essentially a requirement, I think on anything $10 and over. Etsy said this week, that any second label associated with an order such as for a return or replacement label would no longer be counted in the seller's on-time shipping and tracking calculation. So if you generated a second label for something, it essentially recalculated your shipping date, what sounds like incorrectly, and dinged you. So lots of little bugs in kind of like when eBay (laughs) rolls out a new program. Uh, Lots of little stuff that needs tweaks. They also commented that they'd been aware that some tracked orders 
in the UK using Royal Mail were not counted as having tracking in Etsy's system, which of course was negatively impacting sellers' ratings. They supposedly have fixed that issue. Um, in the thread, in response to this Q&A, sellers expressed concern about the response rate required of them. One seller wrote, in part, you really expect us to respond to every single message in 24 hours. Am I not allowed to take a day off? In response to such concerns, Etsy advised sellers to set up an autoresponder. We fully understand you can't and shouldn't be tied to a computer 24-7, a moderator replied. If you are taking any time off, we highly recommend setting an auto-reply up so that you let your buyers know you might not get back to them immediately, which will also ensure that your messages score isn't negatively impacted. Also, Etsy only counts the initial buyer messages in your score, so responding to follow-ups from that same buyer in the same thread are not required to be done in 24 hours or less for the Star Seller program. They provided a link there to set up an autoresponder and some instructions. If I was a seller on Etsy, and I'm sure this is something they're going to have to sort out, I would just set up an autoresponder permanently. And I would be 100% because you could send out a message that says, thank you for your message. I am currently tied up right now. I will get back to you as soon as I can. Thank you again and be done with it. And that would satisfy Etsy's requirement or response according to their message. So I'm not sure that's going to be a permanent answer. Um, you may, they may have to put some kind of time limit on how long an autoresponder can be set up for because otherwise sellers like me <laughs> uh, would just turn that thing on and let that baby roll. Uh, moving on to uh, an Amazon story. Amazon has their own prime payment program, but they are now partnering with a firm uh, whose shares, of course, have grown astronomically after the announcement of this deal. A firm is a company that does uh, buy now, pay later type financing, and they have inked a deal with Amazon. The shares of a firm holdings, a recently public, they just went public, financial tech firm soared more than 40% on Monday following news that it is partnering with Amazon to roll out its buy now, pay later function on some purchases over $50. Quote, by partnering with Amazon, we're bringing the transparency, predictability, and affordability that a firm provides today to the millions of people who shop on Amazon.com in the U.S. Eric Morse, senior VP of sales at a firm, said in a press release. I don't know if this is just going to be Amazon.com, not uk ca and all the rest uh, at least for now it looks like it's just for the u.s offering a firm's alternative to credit cards also delivers more of the payment choice and flexibility consumers on amazon want he added the company's also said in a press release they're rolling out the program to some amazon shoppers now that but over the next few months again probably in time for q4 amazon plans to make a firm more broadly available to its customers so good partnership for a firm, they are competing with other firms that offer this sort of thing, including PayPal, who offers a, a buy now, pay later program. So this should be a good partnership. I know that Amazon, their actual Prime card does offer something similar. I know I've purchased stuff where I've had the option to either get like a 5% cash back or to take 60 or 90 days to pay. I, I'm not familiar enough with the firm to know what their payment terms are, but I would assume they're a little lengthier than that. Uh, but that's probably a win-win for both of them. 
speaking of PayPal, they have expanded their prohibited activities and made other user agreement changes. PayPal is making changes that will be in effect on September 21st of this year. Users should carefully scrutinize the notice to see how these changes may impact them. They said they are expanding the list of prohibited activities and clarifying commercial activities requiring pre-approval. The amended acceptable use policy will go into effect September 21st. However, as of the writing of this article, PayPal had not yet provided any details on what it's adding to that list. The current policy page for that particular portion is still dated May 6th. So if you do a lot of business on PayPal, this is something you'll want to keep an eye on just to make sure that you're not offering things trying to accept PayPal that fall afoul of their new user agreement. Some of the things that they did specifically say they are revising PayPal seller protection program program to clarify eligibility for certain claims involving travel tickets sold by the travel carrier. I'm sure this is in response to cancellations and delays because of the COVID pandemic where cruise ships are not cruising and so on. So uh, they're revising the length of time sellers have to notify us of any pricing errors or discrepancies to 60 days from having access to their account statements or other account information. They are clarifying the types of costs used to calculate the reasonable minimum estimate that we may recover if you engage in restricted activities. Included in the user agreement notice are changes to services such as PayPal here, which allows PayPal users to accept credit and debit cards, Zettle, which is their store platform, and Pools, which frankly, I've never heard of. <laughs> Uh, PayPal has always advised sellers to carefully review the notices and familiarize themselves with the upcoming changes. Otherwise, no further action is necessary. If you don't like the changes, if you would prefer to decline such changes, you will need to close your PayPal account prior to the applicable effective date. So if you don't like it, take your ball and go home. <laughs> uh, so again, if you're a PayPal, if you sell a lot of stuff that involves PayPal on your own website, You'll want to keep an eye on this if, if you're within a site like, for instance, Bonanza, who uses PayPal. I'm sure they will take care of all of this for you and probably send out notices if you're in some kind of violation. Uh, more from Amazon. Sellers can now outsource customer service to Amazon. Uh, this was also on e-commerce bytes last year. They told you that Amazon was creating a service to handle customer service on sellers' behalf for self-fulfilled orders. If you do FBA, you've always had that. They have always had, that's one of the beauties of FBA is that they've done all the customer service. You just have to send the stuff to them and collect your portion of the money. Customer service by Amazon is a paid service, although nowhere in this article do they show how much it costs, but it is a paid service where Amazon takes care of customer service on your behalf for your self-fulfillment orders. We will direct customer inquiries for these orders to Amazon customer service so that you don't need to handle them yourself. At this time, it's only available to select sellers on an invitation only basis. You'll get a 30 day free trial when you are invited and join. After that trial, you'll be charged the fee uh, based on your customer service performance and you can opt out at any time. They say that this will help improve the customer experience by providing a 24 hour high quality customer service throughout the year. It supports customer and marketplace supported language via phone, instant message, and email. 
Their high-quality customer service can help you reduce your A to Z guarantee claims, order defect rates, and negative reviews. It can help you manage customer service in response to changing demands, for instance, during the holidays. So this would probably be helpful <laughs> uh, given what I expect to be a pretty long holiday selling season with USPS. And it helps you save time and reduce customer service cost. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I guess it depends on how much they're going to charge for this service, which again, in this article, they do not say. Uh, they do have uh, apparently some threads up on their seller boards. People are, of course, skeptical of Amazon's ability to actually be able to effectively answer customer questions about their items. Um, there's also the question of what's the slippery slope of this is an optional service that you can opt out of now to where they decide, you know what, this is so good for us. We're going to require sellers to use it and just add it automatically into your fees. So if you sell on Amazon and are do self-fulfillment rather than FBA, let me know what you think of that program. We talked about this just a few minutes ago. Can students help eBay improve delivery estimates? So eBay, like others, tries to estimate when an item will arrive. Obviously, last year during the holidays, they were horribly over-optimistic with their delivery dates. They realized that that is an issue, and they have reached out to colleges to ask for assistance in fixing this. eBay is looking for university students to help it improve the delivery estimates it displays, which lets shoppers know approximately how long it will take for any particular item to arrive once it's purchased. The problem statement we invite you to consider, they say, is how to build a model that can accurately predict delivery dates for items sold on eBay given a data set of pertinent shipping information. The accuracy of shipping estimates plays a significant role in providing a hassle-free and trusty customer experience. And this can affect your individual sales. If your eBay's delivery estimate for your item is longer than it is for someone else's and that information is inaccurate, you may be missing a sale that the other person is getting due to that mistake. So this is a kind of a nuts and bolts financial situation for all sellers. Now you could say that the playing field is equal and we're all being equally mistreated by their incorrect algorithm, uh, but it's still something that eBay obviously needs to get corrected. However, they say this particular area has not received enough attention within the machine learning community, despite its growing importance in the new online world. Maybe it's new, the, the volume of it since the pandemic, but I mean, eBay itself has been around since what, 1998, 1999. So this isn't, this isn't a new problem. It's just one that has not been at the forefront of their thought process or probably anybody else's. Uh, we at eBay, they say, want to change that. The question we invite you to address is to estimate the delivery date of shipments of online purchases. These shipments come from a diverse set of sellers on eBay, ranging from people selling items from their households to large business sellers. As with Etsy's conundrum, the, the journey of a package from seller to buyer is made up of two parts. The first is the handling time, which covers the time taken by the seller to package the item until it is handed over to the carrier. The second part is the transit time, which is the time taken by the carrier to deliver the package. eBay will provide competitors with a data set consisting of 20 million randomly selected shipments from transactions on eBay. 
They said that these records would include a record identifier, an anonymized identity for the seller, the shipping service, and the category of items. So fairly real-world data, but anonymized to be generic. So you won't know what the shipping company is or who the seller was. You'll just know that a seller is shipping on a generic service with uh, X number of days delivery time, so they say. <laughs> uh, this is eBay's third annual university challenge in the space of machine learning on an e-commerce data set. It will be, unfortunately, too late to impact the 2021 holiday shopping season as the deadline for submitting solutions is January 14th of 2022. So assuming that somebody figures out a way to do this better, it's it'll help us next Christmas, but not this Christmas. So that's interesting. Continuing on with eBay, do they have a chargeback problem? This is something that has come up from time to time since they took over payments. Sellers are increasingly exposed to the way eBay handles chargebacks, including the fact that eBay doesn't want to call it a chargeback anymore. They have done away with that actual term. It can be a costly issue for sellers as, like PayPal, eBay charges a $20 fee if the financial institution sides with the buyer in a chargeback dispute. Buyers, of course, always had the option of filing a chargeback through PayPal, but some say scammers have finding it easier to do this through eBay managed payments. Sellers discussed this issue on a thread on the eBay boards where one seller noted sellers had the opportunity to appeal a chargeback through PayPal, but not through eBay payments. I don't think that's right. You get a notice that there's been a payment dispute, I believe is what now eBay calls them, not a chargeback. It's called a payment dispute. And you have five days to respond to that dispute it's fairly limited. You don't really get to state much of a case. You get to upload tracking that shows an item was either delivered or not delivered. And that's essentially it. But you do get some opportunity to interact with this thing. My personal experience, I've only had two payment disputes. Both were found in my favor. So knock wood, so far it has not been an issue for me. Again, you can let us know in the comments if you've had to deal with this and have contested a payment dispute and come out on the losing end, losing not only your item, but the fees and the additional 20 bucks. Uh, according to eBay's policy, when a dispute is opened, you'll receive a notification from eBay and you must respond within five calendar days. Uh, when they were asked, eBay said they were not trying to change the industry term of chargeback, but they said from eBay's perspective, there were two types of post-transaction issue issues, requests and payment disputes. A request is something that qualifies under eBay's money-back guarantee. So a return or an item not received request, if those aren't resolved, eBay can be asked to step in to assist. And a payment dispute is different because it is initiated not with eBay, but with the credit card or debit card company. So I'm bypassing eBay altogether and I'm filing my dispute with Fifth Third Bank, for instance rather than with eBay. So it kind of takes eBay out of the equation essentially and puts them in the middle of communicating between you and the financial institution, which is where I think things get kind of murky for people because they, we all naturally assume that since eBay is managing payments, that they're actually responsible for this, but that's not unfortunately really the case. They're just kind of the go between. So again, let me know if you've had any issues with chargebacks. This one is a bit more 
problematic, and I was not aware of this. Did you know that eBay may hold funds of what they call low-volume sellers? If you are a what eBay considers a low-volume seller, they may hold your funds before releasing, even if you've been on the platform for a long time. Volume in this case refers to the number of items you have sold, not the dollar volume. A seller was subjected to the eBay payments hold policy, wrote about the issue on the technical board back on August 18th. After being in managed payments since June 4th, my account is all of a sudden on payment hold status. When I called customer service, they said my account had been switched to, quote, casual seller status on August 14th. Now I have to wait until an item is delivered for the payment to be initiated to my bank account. This writer says I've been selling on eBay for over 20 years and recent sales have been over 2000 for the last two and a half months. I'm told my payments will be on hold until I sell 20 more items. So that's a bunch. Um, when I call customer service, they can't locate any documentation on the eBay website. And they said this detail was not included in the managed payment contract that we all had to sign should be documented so that everybody knows that their payments will now be on hold until delivery is complete for their next 25 items sold, no matter how many sales they've had in the past. This person says their counter started in August, but is retroed back to when the seller signed their managed payment agreement. In this particular case, that was June 4th. So his counter started on June 4th. Everybody says now everybody starts in the casual seller level until they've sold 25 new items, which I don't think is actually new. I think even when we were on PayPal, eBay did that. They wanted to establish some kind of track record with you as a seller. So your your money was not immediately available to you. You can correct me if I'm wrong on that because I've been on the platform for 21 years. <laughs> uh, and I don't fully remember, but I think that's the case. I've had a, a few new sellers that have reached out and said, oh, why can't I get my money? And this is part of that. Uh, an eBay moderator responded explaining that just as before eBay took over payments, it would, could place holds on seller accounts for a variety of reasons, including selling activity for members that sell casually, which used to be called occasionally. We will place funds on hold until the item is delivered. He described the policy, noting, again, that no documentation is visible to sellers. A casual seller who has their payments managed by eBay is defined as a seller who has not completed 25 transactions in the last two years. These holds are eligible for an early release based on proof of successful delivery, and that can be done by customer service directly. As to public-facing documentation, there isn't any that goes into the specific detail like I've shared, but it is briefly mentioned in the dreaded terms and conditions for payments, the holds section in Section 7. So if you want to go back and read that riveting document, <laughs> uh, specifically it says each hold may be based on factors including selling history, seller performance, returns, chargeback, riskiness of the listing category, transaction value, the ability to make direct debits from your linked financial account, and the filing of eBay buyer protection program claims. So there are a lot going on here. It probably doesn't affect most people who are listening to this podcast because uh, most of us are selling more than 25 items in two years. But for those of you who are casual sellers or new to the program, uh, you need to be aware of this. Your money's going to be on hold for a little bit. Uh, just a couple of more quick items here. eBay uh, posted a important information for sellers doing luxury handbags. Blah, blah, blah. It talks about how wonderful their authentication program is for handbags and all of the thing, great things it does for you. 
to set you up for the fact that your fees, your final value fees are going up uh, a fairly substantial amount. So if you are on a starter store or don't have a store and you sell a luxury handbag, which qualifies for their luxury program, your fees going from 12.55% to 15 up to $7,500. The portion of the sale over $7,500 used to be 2.35. This program has changed dramatically. Now that amount drops to $2,000 and the fee goes to 9% over 2000. So this is a humongous jump um, for those of you in the luxury handbag. So I don't know if the authenticity guarantee thing is worth it or not. Uh, Hopefully you're selling more handbags if you're in this category, but man, that's a big jump. If you do have a store, it's not going up quite as much. It's going from 11.5% of the total amount of the sale up to the first $2,500 and 2.35 after to 13 and seven. So still a pretty sizable jump, but not quite as bad. So be sure you take a look at that. If you are in the luxury handbag business, Uh, I don't know if you got this notice. I can't remember if this went out on an email or if this was in kind of the seller hub, but you want to check that out because it's going to make a, a pretty substantial difference to your bottom line. We talked about this Uh, Last week, I think, and the week before, eBay is going to give their cost-per-click ads priority access to the search page. So they're readying this new kind of promoted listings where you pay for the click, not just for a sale. With this cost-per-click model, eBay sellers pay small fee each time the shopper clicks on a promoted listing. Unlike the standard promoting listing program, which costs users on a cost-per-sale model, eBay will charge sellers for quote unquote advanced promoted listing clicks, even if no sale results from that click. The program is currently in beta and will roll out to eligible sellers later this year. Uh, Marketplace Pulse, a blog, uh, recently wrote of eBay's approach. eBay is introducing more advertising types as sellers are increasingly using promoted listings. It hasn't found a way to grow sales on the platform but it is getting better at monetizing them, which is absolutely the case. So kind of the inverse of what happened, and we talked about this last week, back in 2010, where they realized that the customer experience was not as good because the top of the search results were cluttered with ads. So they did away with the program. Now they're kind of on the flip side of that, if you will. They feel like they can't, they're not able to grow their sales. So they're nickel and diamond sellers enticing us with ever increasing ways to spend money on fees to promote our listing. So I, as I've talked about on this show numerous times, I don't use promoted listings at all. Uh, I certainly will not use this program. You can let me know if this is a program that you will use. If you use promoted listings, if you think it really works for you, um, I'm, I'm not sold. Uh, and they indicate there will be more ad models on the way. Cost per click ads were the next step in developing a universal suite of advertising solutions for sellers seeking more preferred access and control in search rankings and budget planning. So uh, if you want to throw more money at them, they're willing to take it. Um, eBay also introduced a price update for their recently introduced standard envelope program, which is something that they were doing kind of for the trading card business trading cards under 20 bucks you could send a quote unquote trackable first class envelope using their program uh effective a couple of days ago on august 29th 
that program went up by two cents from on one ounce, 51 cents to 53 cents. This was kind of in conjunction with the uh, price increase that occurred for first class postage on the same date, along with media mail, which we talked about last week. So uh, prices have gone up. Pro tip, if you're not following me on Instagram, why not? You should be, but I did point out on Monday, if you do sell in media and you have items that are four ounces or less, it definitely is going to pay at least for the next month to check the first class rate. In many cases, under four, four ounces and under, the first class shipping rate is actually less than the updated media mail rate. Now, when the temporary holiday surcharge goes into effect at the beginning of October, that will no longer be the case. Although, given the delays that we all expect, spending the extra money to ship your items first class may still make sense if your margins can take it uh, to try to get the thing faster because media mail is, of course, the lowest priority and tends to be the slowest. Last thing in the news, crazy news that I always try to share, the video game business continues to bring drama for people. Halo has introduced a new uh, Halo Infinite Xbox Series X for Halo's 20th anniversary. And of course, nobody can find them because the scalpers have bought them all up. <laughs> uh, since Halo Infinite, the actual game will not be ready until December. Microsoft is celebrating the 20th anniversary with a custom Xbox Series X console that no one can actually buy, the article says. It's not often that a game franchise stays active for 20 years, so when it happens, it's a big deal. Thanks to COVID-19 and the complexities with development, Halo Infinite will not be part of the franchise's 20th birthday on November 15th. Microsoft is instead releasing a special edition Halo Infinite-themed Xbox Series X, and it predictably sold out immediately. They are already listed on eBay at big markups, uh, the system retails for $549 or about $50 more than standard. It does include ultimately a copy of that game when it does come out. Uh, there's a few listings already on eBay for 1000 bucks. <laughs> oh, man. So there you go. The, uh, the game scalpers taking advantage of another opportunity. The, uh, the video game business, even by itself, has just grown enormously. I think this article points out. I think I left it too soon. Uh, demand has grown for video games and consoles. Um, EA, Activision, Blizzard, among others, are set to record record earnings in 2021. So big, big business in the video game world. With that being said, let's take a look at... Some items I sold last week on eBay. Speaking of profit, um, not a ton this week to share with you this first item, a set of books. I picked these up at, I did an estate buyout essentially. So I was at this sale and I picked out like five boxes of books because she said she would do them for five bucks a box. So I loaded up, I had five kind of photocopy paper sized boxes full of books. And I overheard her say to someone else that she had someone who comes in who buys all the books at the end of the sale. So me being me, I handed her my card and I said, hey, if your person doesn't come through to buy all these remaining books, I, I would be interested in them. I'm loading up my five boxes and she comes out and she says, you know what? You're here now. Would you like to make a deal right now? And I said, well, sure. What are you thinking? Um, 
And essentially, I got those five boxes that I already had picked out for 25 bucks. And then I got the rest of the estate, which amounted to close to 2,000 or 2,200 books for another 60 bucks. So I've got what amounted to about four cents a piece in these books. This first set, The Life of Samuel Johnson from 1925, it was a three volume set sold for $24 plus shipping. So this is something obviously I've listed since I changed my program to customer paid shipping. I had these listed at $29.99 plus shipping. I got a best offer of $24 plus shipping. I own the set for 12 cents. So of course I took that offer. <laughs> uh, another book, this was part of a huge lot of books I bought coming up on a year ago now that I own for a quarter a piece. Man, hurting my profits at a quarter. <laughs> uh, the Principles of Surgery, third edition from 1979. This sold for $24.99 with free shipping. So not that's not terrible. We had one CD from this band last week. We have another one this week. Emily's Sassy Lime, Right Is Here. This is another uh, CD from 1995. I sent out an offer. I had a watcher sent out an offer for 15% off and sold this thing for $29.74. So if you're out looking at media, Emily's Sassy Lime. I know most of you probably not heard of them, but you've probably heard of this guy, Willie Nelson, country favorites, Willie Nelson style. This came out in 2000 on Buddha Records. I've had this, I own it for about three and a half cents. It was part of that big CD lot. Went for $34.99 with free shipping. So that is a pretty nice return on investment. This was a really cool piece. I found this at an estate sale. So it's a, a pretty good size print of the Memphis Bell, the B-17. It's an aviation art print that was a kind of an item in the gift shop at the Memphis Bell Memorial Association. So this thing had, uh, doesn't appear to have ever been taken out of it's cellophane, so it's still in its wrap. It's got its cardboard backing. I picked this up at an estate sale for $2. Sold it on, I had it listed for $49.99 or best offer. I actually ended up with a watcher on this. I sent out an offer for 15% off and it sold for $42.49 with free shipping. And now I think, I believe it's time for the flip of the week. Uh, actually, yeah, no, this is, this is, uh, a treasury of Christmas, a four record box set from Columbia record club. Um, this was, I couldn't find a date on this. It looks like it was probably late 1960s, early 1970s. I picked this up again as part of an estate buyout. I own this box set for 10 cents. It sold for $44.99 with free shipping. There are two versions of this. The first one is this one, which is fairly hard to find. I believe I had the only one listed of this particular one. There is a reissue of this, which is missing one particular song. I had a customer that reached out to me and said, Hey, I'm looking for this set. I've already bought two of them and it's been the reissue that's missing this song. Can you tell me is, I can't remember the name of the song, but it was the first song on the side two of album number four of this four record set. So I went up, dug the thing out, found that in fact, this song was on there. I sent the guy a picture of the actual album with that song listed and said, yes, it is. And within an hour, he bought it for $44.99. So from 10 cents to 45 bucks, 
not bad. Not the three hundred and fifty odd dollar flip of last week, certainly, but uh, not not too hateful, not too hateful at all. So uh, let me know what what was your big sale of the week last week. With that, let's talk. about the month of August. It was it was a pretty busy month here. Uh, as always, I'll start with listings. I did 506 new listings last month on eBay, which took my total to 6,833, which was a net gain of 87. Still well behind the pace I need to be on to get to 7,500 by the end of the year, but that means I'm selling a lot of stuff. So again, it's a problem I will take. Over on Macari, 501 new listings, which brought my total over there to 3263. Sales for the month, 419 listings were sold over the course of the month. Um, so that's pretty good. Normally I'm in the kind of 375 to 380 range. So this was August was a good month. As it turns out, it was July was my second best month ever. August was my fourth best month ever. So two of my top 10 months back-to-back -back after a pretty lackluster June. I feel pretty good about how the summer slowdown really, I guess it didn't completely bypass me because June wasn't great, but man, the last couple of months have just been fantastic here. Sales for the month totaled $71.78 and 39 cents, $17.35 of affiliate income. So those of you who used my List Perfectly affiliate link down below or otherwise, um, I appreciate that very much. If you're inclined to check out List Perfectly, please use my link. I do get a little bit off with that. Westchester Antique Center, finally back open and in action, $133.37. Bonanza, not bad, $136.41. Mercari, a little bit off from the month before at $667. Um, and eBay, $62.24.26. Cost of goods sold for the month, $323.54, leaving me with a gross profit percentage of 95.49%. Sold a couple of wholesale lots of stuff, and the turntable that I sold, which had a big dollar volume of profit, but a smaller percentage of profit, kind of impacted that number. Normally, it's 96% plus, so still <laughs> hard to complain about. Gross margins in the 90s. 68.54.85 was the total gross profit. Operating expenses for the month totaled 30.35.46. Um, a little over $1,100 in selling fees. Uh, $168 in subscriptions, software subscriptions that came due. List perfectly. Canva, which I use for creating um, my thumbnails and some other stuff that I do kind of on the side. I spent $130 on some supplies. I needed some new bubble mailers. Rent, of course, at the Antique Center and almost $1,500 in shipping costs. That left me overall with a net profit percentage of five, sorry, 53.21%. So my target is always to be net profit 50% or better, 38, 19, and 39 cents. So pretty solid. I was pretty pleased with, with August overall. And I did want to share with you you can, I don't know how well it shows up on the screen. Probably not real well if you're watching on a phone or on a tablet, but this is my profit and loss comparison. So the software that I use will actually allow me to really quickly go in and look at date ranges as compared to previous date ranges. So 
I took a look at August of this year versus August of last year. And if you can read it on the screen, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see that my net profit went up almost 48% from a year ago, August, which was kind of the anniversary date of me starting and reselling. Total income sales, all, all sources included, went up 39.28% from 71.78 to 51.50 from 51.53. Cost of goods sold, obviously I sold more stuff, so they were a little higher. The percentage was actually a little bit lower. Gross profit grew from 49.53 to 68.54, which was a 38.39% increase. The big number, of course, the one that makes the most difference is net profit, of course, before taxes, 38.19 for the month versus 25.87 from the month previous and from the year previous, I should say, an increase of 47% for $1,232 and some change. So a, a big jump from year to year as I look. June was the only one because June was kind of slow. That was not a big growth number. But when I do this exercise every month, I find that my business is growing at a pretty nice clip. Again, as I've talked about on the show previously, it can't grow at astronomical rates forever. But you always want to be trying to evaluate your business and look at, is it moving forward? Is it falling backwards? What's actually going on in my business? And obviously, as you can see from that, it went pretty well. So uh, again, let me know how your business was. I am still kind of wading through all those books I bought. There have been, I've sorted maybe a third of them. I do have a couple of piles of duds, half of which I've already taken over to my antique booth for 99 cents or a dollar. So if you're in the local area to the greater Cincinnati area and you're looking for some old cheap books, I just took a bunch of 99 cent books. <laughs> Uh, over to the Westchester Antique Center, booth number 604. I also took a bunch of records over there yesterday. So there's a bunch of new stuff in the booth if you're local to the area and you want to go check out that. With that, let me jump into the chat here real quick and see if there's anything that people would like to discuss. Lots of good mornings. Let's see here. Ever since managed payments started, I've hardly used PayPal, says TRB Collectibles. Yeah, my PayPal use... Essentially, uh, List Perfectly pays out to my PayPal account. And of course, anything I do on Bonanza, they are only set up with PayPal, but it's less than $200 a month now. Now, I manage payments does accept PayPal, so I don't know how much PayPal there is going on on the back end, uh, but it's not, that's not money going into my account. Um, TRB Collectibles, again, there are so many variables when it comes to shipping. I'm really interested in seeing what they come up with. Yeah, it's hopefully they can sort out some way of kind of updating as conditions change or build in a little bit of a fudge factor for the holidays where they know things are going to slow down because a, a one size fits all does not work on a business that has seasonality, in my opinion, for shipping. So that's definitely an issue that they are going to need to look at. Um. Jim Lucas says, I use promoted listings sparingly. If I had like a really unusual kind of one-off item that there were some of out there and I wanted to kind of boost my listing, it might be something that I would look at. But in most cases, I try to price it competitively enough that that's not really an issue. Um, and I don't, let me know 
I'd be curious when you shop on eBay, how do you search? Cause the first thing I do is I change the search filter from best match, which I just assume automatically is going to be filled with advertised listings to lowest price plus shipping so that I'm looking at the cheapest stuff. And then I manually kind of sort from there, the ones you know based on their condition or whatnot. Let me know. Cause I don't know if, if you shop like I do, promoted listings are totally lost on, on me because I immediately bypass them by changing my sort filter. So I, that would be interesting to see. Uh, TRB Collectibles just wanted to say thank you for introducing me to the value of vintage books. I would never have known they carried value. I always look them up now. Yeah, a lot. I think um, Fundamentals of Side Hustle just did a video where he also showed some books. I don't know that I necessarily inspired him to do books. He may have been doing them all along, but he commented on that video that a lot of people will just pass by books. And there is, there can be really great value there. And again, if you can work out a deal with an estate seller and end up with a bunch of books at a cost of goods sold, average cost of goods sold of, you know, 25 cents, or in the case of my last buy, actually my last two buys, because I did an, another one uh, for about 600 books that also worked out to less than four cents a copy. You can sell those super cheap plus shipping and still make as a percentage pretty good money. Now you got to do a ton of volume. If you're selling a bunch of $10 books like I do, you got to move like I did last month, 400 plus listings to make the math make sense. But man, there's a real profit opportunity in media that I think a lot of people just overlook. Uh, TRB collectibles asks, has anyone ever sold 35 millimeter slides? That's not actually something that I have looked at. Boston Scientific Battery for $5 at an estate sale, flipped it for $150 plus shipping. That's a nice flip for sure. So with that, uh, I've got a ton of work to do, like I said, with those books. Thank you for all of you who stopped by and who commented. Thank you again to all of you who listen to the podcast uh, all over the world. I see I've got listeners kind of literally all over the place. So I appreciate that all of you come by and spend a little bit of your time even if I'm just playing in the background <laughs> uh, and listening or watching. So thank you again to all of you. Thank you to those of you who showed up today live. And now it's time to sell. Thanks, guys. You have been listening to the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you again next time.